You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Philippians chapter 2, receive him. Actually, let's read verse 25 through 30. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is before your your word now that we bow our hearts and our heads with the acknowledgement that we are but dust in your sight. We are unable to discern spiritual things without the presence and the work of your Spirit. Your word is light and it is truth, and we ask that through the unfolding of your word there may be light upon our souls and our hearts, and also that you would open our eyes to behold from your word wonderful things, that you would convict us and exhort us and encourage us this morning. We pray that you would change us through your word as we honor it in our obedience. Give us the ability not only to understand your word, but by your grace give us the ability to obey and apply your word as well. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake and for his glory. Amen. Every once in a while I run across something that I see the world, and by that I mean unbelieving pagans, do that I think, man, the church really should do that, and we don't do that enough, and the world does it far better than we do, and they do a better job of it, and they do it far more often than we do it. And I'm not talking about anything immoral. I'm talking about actual good things where I look at the world, and it's not, it's not very often, but it does happen occasionally. And, and studying through this text this last week, I came across something that I thought, you know, the world really has a a corner on this market. The world does this good, and Christians should do this, and we should do it more often, and we should do it better than the world does it. But in reality, we don't. And it has to do with giving heroes a hero's welcome. Now, the world does this all the time. We see them do it in the sports arena. Uh, We just are just a couple weeks past one of the best Super Bowls in Super Bowl history, with one of the best outcomes in Super Bowl history, as far as I'm concerned, 18-1. and And I'm not a Giants fan, but it was a good Super Bowl. Now, as is the custom, after a Super Bowl like that, or after every Super Bowl, the winning and victorious team goes home and they have a parade in the hometown. And they celebrate and recognize the achievement, and they celebrate the victory, and they give them a hero's welcome. Because they recognize what sacrifice went into that, making only $20 million a year in order to play at a level like that. They recognize the sacrifice that went into it. They recognize the discipline and the hard work and the athletic ability and what they did and went in there and they played hard and they gave it their best and they came out victorious. And so they honor their victors, they honor their heroes, they honor their celebrities. We do this in the military realm, at least the the world does. And I would argue that the world and by that I mean our country, our culture, our society, does not do it like we used to do it 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when troops would come back from the field of battle and they would really honor them and put on a big show. I think we should do that more than we do. 
But even today, when heroes and military men and women return from the field of battle, they're welcomed with a band and with banners and balloons and all their friends and their loved ones, and they come out to greet the airplane when they come home from the field of victory. The world knows how to give them a hero's welcome. And that is a right thing to do, because I've said in times past that being in the military and being a soldier is a very honorable and noble profession, and that they work hard and they should be honored, because they are heroes, in my opinion. Uh, Police officers, firefighters, and military personnel are heroes. And they're my heroes, and I teach my children that. And occasionally, from time to time, I'll be in the airport and I'll see somebody in full military dress either going away to the field or they're coming back home from being in active duty for a period of time. And I will always make a point to go up and introduce myself and thank them for their service and tell them that I'm honored that they do what they do and I'm glad that they sacrifice for the rest of us. We've had military personnel stand up in our own congregation on honor around Veterans Day, and we've honored them and recognized them, and all of that is right and appropriate. The world even takes their heroes and they recognize their birthdays. Whether it's George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King, the world knows how to celebrate and they set aside a day to honor an individual who is one of their heroes. The church, we don't do that in the church. We don't have Martin Luther Day. Now, we do have Reformation Day, but most Christians don't know when Reformation Day is. Most of you do because I drum it into our heads every year, October 31st, what Reformation Day is because I don't want you to forget it. But we don't have Charles Spurgeon Day and John Whitfield or uh, uh, George Whitfield Day or John Wesley Day or D.L. Moody Day or Jonathan Edwards Day. We don't do that in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting, nor am I condoning, the veneration of dead saints like the Catholics do. But certainly there is some middle ground between venerating and worshiping and praying to a saint on one hand and being totally ignorant of who these people are, on the other hand. There must be some middle ground in the middle, right? It is that kind of middle ground that I think Paul is encouraging in Philippians chapter 2, verses 29 to 30, that we just looked at, where he says to the Philippians, when Epaphroditus arrives back in Philippi, look what he says in verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, in trying to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So Paul is actually asking the Philippians to throw sort of a hero's welcome for Epaphroditus when he came back to Philippi after completing his mission to Rome. Now verse 29 and 30 is part of this larger section that we read, 25 through 30. The beginning of this passage as Paul introduces Epaphroditus. You remember how he described him. My fellow worker, my fellow servant, my brother, or fellow soldier, my brother, your messenger and your minister to my need. Now, somebody might read those words and say, well, if that's how you feel about Epaphroditus, if he's such a valuable man, if he's such a good servant, if he's somebody that served you so well and he's so valuable to you, why would you send him back to us so early with the letter? And then Paul goes on in verses 26 to 28 to explain why it was he was sending Epaphroditus back. And he basically gave him three reasons. Number one, for Epaphroditus' sake, because he was distressed, because you had heard, or he had heard, that you had heard that he was sick. And he didn't want you worrying about him. And so he was upset that you might worry about the fact that he was about ready to die. So I'm sending him back for Epaphroditus' sake. Second, for your sake, so that you might rejoice when you see your brother come back to you, so that you would have joy amongst the congregation. And then Paul says, third, for my own sake, so that I would be less concerned about you. Sending back a faithful servant, that will sort of ease my heart. I'll be less concerned about what's going on in the Philippian church. So here's why I'm sending him back. Then in verses 29 to 30, Paul says to the Philippians, Here's how I want you to receive him. And this is one of the most 
I think, interesting passages and one of the most convicting passages that I've come across in a long time. Because as I was reading through this and thinking through this, I realized as a church, not only us corporately, individually here at Kootenai Community, but also Christians in general, we just don't do this. We just don't give our heroes a hero's welcome when the hero's welcome is due. And I think you'll see what I mean by that as we work through the passage. So in verses 29 and 30, Paul, I just want you to highlight two things. First of all, how Epaphroditus was to be received back, and that's in verse 29, and then verse 30, why he was to be received back in that way. Look at verse 29 again. Paul says, Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. And when I read that, I thought that's a bit, that's a bit sort of quirky. Why does the Apostle Paul mention that? Why does he feel like he has to tell the Philippians, here's how you receive Epaphroditus back? Wouldn't they naturally welcome him back as a hero? Wouldn't they naturally receive him back with all joy? Wouldn't they naturally receive him as a brother in the Lord? Wouldn't Epaphroditus' return to Philippi, having heard that he was sick, having heard that he might die, having no information for him to show up in the church with a letter from Paul, wouldn't they naturally give him a hero's welcome? I find it curious that the Apostle Paul has to tell the Philippians how to receive Epaphroditus back. Now, it's not all that difficult to understand when we sort of go back in our minds as to what had happened and what had precipitated this letter. So let me remind you of a couple things to sort of put you into the Philippians context. The church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus back to, uh, to Rome with two things. Number one, a financial gift to help the Apostle Paul. He mentions that in chapter 4. Second, to be their minister on behalf of the church to the Apostle Paul. Basically, he had the instruction... Go there and serve Paul as long as he needs you. Do whatever he asks you to do. Help him out in his ministry. Encourage him. Get involved in the work there on behalf of the church. Comfort him. Do whatever you can for him. So Epaphroditus goes back with that. They hear that he's sick. Now imagine what the thoughts of the people would be if all of a sudden, way early, way before they expected him to come back, Epaphroditus shows up back in church. Somebody in the congregation might say, Whoa! Hey! What are you doing back so soon? We sent you away to serve the Apostle Paul. We're not expecting you back for another six months, eight months, a year, and here you show up this soon. What are you doing back so soon? Is this a dereliction of duty? Did you get sick and wimp out on the mission field and so come back here? Did you bail out because you were homesick? What are you doing coming back so soon? That's why the Apostle Paul stresses in Philippians chapter 2, This is the type of man Epaphroditus proved to be. He was this type of man to me. He's a very valuable servant. He came close to the point of death. And I want you to know, I am the one who is sending him back. I think Epaphroditus would have wanted to stay with the Apostle Paul, even though it was costing him dearly to do so. I think Epaphroditus wanted to be there, but Paul said, no, you need to go back. And I think he's sending him back. He's sacrificing for the Philippians. And he wants the Philippians to understand this was not a dereliction of duty. This was at my request and at my command. That's why he explains why it is that he's sending him back. He doesn't want the Philippians to sort of hold him at arm's length and sort of look at him and say, yeah, I came back too quick. We think he might have wimped out on the mission field. So Paul says receive him. The word means to welcome something and to welcome something warmly. It was used in a pejorative sense by the Pharisees, that same word, used in a pejorative sense by the Pharisees to speak of Jesus. He welcomes sinners. They hated that. He welcomes sinners. Imagine somebody embracing sinners, welcoming them warmly, treating them kindly. That's what Jesus did. The Pharisees hated that about Jesus. Why would the Savior of the world welcome sinners? Who can imagine that? 
So they sort of approached it from a pejorative sense. So Paul says to them, welcome him warmly. Open up your arms and give him a welcome. And he says, welcome him in the Lord. That's another way of saying, as a Christian brother would welcome another Christian brother. Welcome him in the same way that the Lord would welcome him. Welcome him as your brother. Welcome him warmly as a family. You receive him warmly and do it with all joy. Not not any holding him at arm's length, no reservations, no apprehensions. You do it with all joy. Not only should you welcome him, but throw a party for him. Make it a joyful occasion. Rejoice in his return to you. Rejoice in his successful ministry to you. Welcome him back. Welcome him back warmly and welcome him back with hearts full of joy without any reservation whatsoever. And welcome him back and give him a hero's welcome. Throw him a parade, if you will. Throw him a party. Recognize him. And then look what the Apostle Paul says. Esteem him highly. And esteem men like him highly. And the word esteem highly there, entomos, is a word that means to value somebody highly. It's used in 1 Peter chapter 2 to speak of Jesus being a precious stone. It means something valuable and something precious. Now here's something interesting about the word that the Apostle Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus. The word esteem highly is a word that doesn't just mean treating something well, even though it doesn't deserve to be treated well. What it means is have a right estimation of this person or this thing. In other words, you treat it as precious, not because you're just treating it as precious, but because it is in fact precious. That means you evaluate it rightly and you place a good value on it and you esteem it highly because it is to be estimated highly. Epaphroditus was not to be esteemed highly or treated well just for the sake of treating a Christian brother well. The Apostle Paul is saying you treat him and esteem him highly because he's a precious individual. He was a valuable individual. And by the way, not all Christians are to be welcomed like this. Somebody goes out and they don't serve in the mission field well, they disgrace themselves morally just because they've done something and they've done something noble or something good doesn't mean that you welcome back with a Epaphroditus type welcome. But Epaphroditus was a valuable servant. He was a precious man. And the Apostle Paul says he was of tremendous value to me. He was a tremendously precious individual. And so you are to esteem him highly and esteem men like him in that way. Now let me make this practical to us. How do we do this as Christians in the church? How does this work out with us as a body and a congregation? Let me suggest, some. first of all, some people that we can esteem highly. Epaphroditus-type people. The Apostle Paul kind of expresses a similar sentiment in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where he says, I urge you, brethren, because you know the household of Stephanus, that they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors, therefore acknowledge such men. And what the Apostle Paul is doing there in 1 Corinthians 16 is he's saying to the church in Corinth, you have men among you who have devoted themselves to ministry. They have devoted themselves to ministering to the saints. And so you should acknowledge and esteem such men and anybody else who works and serves like those people do. We have a responsibility as a church not only to honor people among us who serve well, but we should begin by honoring those in our body who hold positions of authority and responsibility. First Timothy chapter 5 says you... The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. First Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Esteem them who labor among you in the word and in doctrine, and esteem them highly because of their work's sake. Not only that, but deacons should be esteemed, and they should be held in high honor. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Those who serve as deacons attain for themselves a high standing in the church. They obtain that honor and that respect and 
Those type of men you should esteem well. How about missionaries? How about missionaries? You know, I think we do the Lord a disservice when we send a missionary to the mission field. We send them money. We pray for them once in a while. And then they come back after two or three years to give an update on how things have gone in the mission field. And they stand up here to give a, a, a missionary update. And we look at our watch and we think, okay, well, this usually takes about ten minutes. I hope he doesn't go long. And I hope Jim cuts ten minutes out of what he was going to say. Or we could be here till the twelve o'clock mark. Is that how we should esteem them? But in reality, how often does that go through our minds? That goes through our minds. you have any idea what a missionary gives up just to go to the mission field? Friends, these, and I can only speak for the missionaries from this church that I know personally and I've known them for decades. These men and women sacrifice things that you and I think we could never live without. They give up time spent with their family. They give up time spent with their extended family. It means that their work hours are longer. They live in places where their lives are literally sometimes are at incredible risk just by being on the mission field where they're at. They put their lives at risk. And then they serve and they work hard and they sacrifice time with their family. They sacrifice things that you and I take for granted and you and I do uh, love these things. They don't consider them as any account as dear to themselves. And they give up all of that and they go to the mission field to do that which you and I have not been called to do. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you for not being a missionary. They do that which you and I have not been called to do. They do those things which you and I, some of us probably couldn't do or some of us lack the opportunity to do. And then when they come home, Many times we just hardly even recognize their existence. That's a, that's a hor- horrible wrong. We ought to give them a hero's welcome. Say, hey, welcome back. Not only elders and deacons and missionaries, but another group of people that we should honor is those who serve amongst ourselves, who are honorable men and women who sacrifice for the cause of the gospel. They're fellow soldiers. They're fellow fighters. They sacrifice time with their family. They sacrifice things in order to do music, to do specials, to teach Sunday school, to help in Awana, to lead clubs, to serve as elders and deacons, to help out elders and deacons. These people sacrifice a tremendous amount. And when you find somebody who sacrifices of themselves for the sake of the body, we should esteem them highly. Now, is this just... Am I suggesting that we give undue honor to people instead of God? Somebody might object and say that. You're suggesting that we give undue honor to people. No, I'm not. It's only undue honor... If it's undue. That makes sense? It's only undue if it's undue. But if it's due an individual, then you give them due honor. Now somebody else might say, well, but if we do that, if we give honor and esteem highly men who serve in these capacities and men who sacrifice these things and the Epaphroditus type men amongst our body, and there are many of them here, if we esteem men like that, aren't we giving glory to men that is due only to God? And I think maybe sometimes that's a legitimate reason or a legitimate concern that we have for not treating men like that and esteeming men in that way and women in that way. Maybe that's a legitimate concern. We don't want to give glory to men. We want to give it to God. I don't think that that's a legitimate concern. It all depends on how you do it. It is possible to give wrong glory to men. But when you esteem worthy men, listen, you are esteeming in them those things that God, by His grace, has worked in them both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So what you're doing is you're recognizing in people their sacrifice, the work of Christ, the work of the Spirit of God, and you are honoring men for the work that God does through them. And that is right. And it is just. And it is good. And it's an honorable thing. And if God says, esteem these men highly, if we don't do it, it's sin. If we do do it, we're not dishonoring God by esteeming men highly. You can't dishonor God by honoring His Word. So we ought to do it. And we ought to esteem these men highly. 
Now, what are some ways that we can do this? Do we just throw a party every time a sacrificial servant, a Christian servant shows up at church? One big party. Hey, hey, Dave walked in the door. Let's throw a party. Balloons, everybody. Hey, Jess walked in the door. Let's, you obviously can't do that every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. But there are some practical ways that as a body we can do this and esteem worthy men. We can thank them. We can recognize them. I think one important thing that we should do is direct the attention of our children, our grandchildren, and ourselves to the lives of godly men and women who have gone before us. Read biographies. You ever read a biography of Spurgeon, Edwards, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Luther, John Calvin, George Whitfield? Ever read anybody of those men? Some of you may, I didn't even hear of those men. You ever read any of their biographies? Direct the attention of your children to these people and say, these are men that you would want to be like. These are men that you would want to model your lives after. These are men who had commitments and priorities and principles that are a good thing. Be like them. Be, be like those role models. They can do that. When a missionary shows up, familiarize yourself with the missionary. Take the time to get to know them. Uh, on April, and it's sometime in April, I don't know what the date is, 12 or 13th, I think it is. On April 12th and 13th, we have one of the missionaries that our church supports showing up. We're going to have a potluck afterwards over at the church building. Uh, upstairs, he's going to update us all on how the mission has gone. Take the time to get your family over there. Take them out for dinner when they're here. Arrange to sit down with your children and just listen to these people talk about the work that they do. It will awe you. They could literally spend a whole evening just awing you, making you in wonder at what they do, what they sacrifice, and what's going on around the world. They are incredible, extraordinary human beings. Familiarize your children with them and pray for them and understand what it is that they sacrifice. Here's an important one. Don't trash talk spiritual role models. Don't trash talk spiritual role models. I have met people whose children have long since left the faith and their kids walk away from the faith because for 18 years they heard their parents sit around the dinner table and trash talk the elders, trash talk the deacons, trash talk the missionaries, trash talk the ministry leaders. I disagree with this. I'm critical of that. I don't like this. I saw him do that. I don't like this. And he did this. And nit, 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 nit. Then their children grow up, walk away and say, the church is full of hypocrites. And then I wonder, hmm, who, wonder who taught them that? The parents taught them that. 18 years of trash talking their spiritual role models. Because if you trash talk your children's spiritual role models, guess what happens? They get to be 16 or 17 years old. They're going to ditch the good spiritual role models for people that nobody ever trash talks. The Britney Spears and the Lindsay Lohans and the Kevin Federines of the world. Federline, Federine, however you pronounce his name. They're going, to tra- they're going to switch role models and they're going to get role models that you don't want your children to have. Why? Because all they've learned is that everybody who should be a role model that they sit with every Sunday morning from 9 to noon is not worthy of any consideration or esteem or respect at all. Your children will walk away from the faith when you do that. Don't trash talk spiritual role models. Oh, here's another one. This one just, I just thought of this one this morning. Treat the older folks in the congregation with the respect and the honor that they're due. Do you know there are whole philosophies of church growth that are built upon the presumption that anybody that's over 35 or 40 years old is not worth listening to? That's at the foundation of the whole seeker-sensitive movement. If it's more than 15 minutes old, we don't want anything to do with it. Latest fad, latest gadget, latest gadget, latest thing, we want to be into that. If it's 15 minutes old, it's archaic, it's too traditional, we don't care about the older people. I have heard in messages, and I have read on the internet, and I have read articles by pastors who brag that they don't have anybody over 40 years old in their church. That's commendable, they think. They think. That's nuts, I think. If you have gray hair, look around you. 
Look around you. There are people with gray hair and there are people with no hair. Some some wish they had gray hair and just not no hair. You look around you, there are older people in this congregation who deserve to be honored and respected because they've served well and they've dedicated their whole lives and for 40 years they've labored in the sake of the gospel. Those people should be honored and respected and they should be welcomed and they should be treated well, not kicked out the back door like they got nothing to offer to the rest of us. That's not right. So don't trash talk your spiritual elders. Don't trash talk people who are worthy men and women to be honored and esteemed. That's why Paul says you take the Epaphroditus amongst you and there are many of them sitting here every Sunday morning. And speak highly of them. Respect them highly. Teach your children to respect them highly. Teach your children to honor them. There are people sitting right next to you to whom I could easily say to my children, you'll want to be just like that when you grow up. There are people sitting right next to you who I say to myself, I want to be just like that when I grow up. It's been that way for 10 years, pastoring this church. There's always been people here who I've respected and wanted to be just like. Men who've served well for that amount of time. Women who've served well and sacrificially for that amount of time. They need to be honored. and We need to esteem them well. Never trash talk them. Respect them. Make them feel welcome. Make them feel valuable because they are valuable. Not just we want to make people feel valuable that are not, but because they are valuable. Well, that is how Epaphroditus was to be welcomed by the church. Esteem him highly. Respect him. He's a worthy man. Welcome him in the Lord and welcome him with all joy. Now look at why Epaphroditus was supposed to be received that way. Verse 30. Because, and this is where the Apostle Paul says, it's for this reason that you esteem him highly. It's not just because he's a Christian brother. You esteem him highly because, and listen, before we go on to that verse, I want to highlight something I said earlier. Not every Christian is worthy of this kind of respect. Quite frankly, there are a lot of Christians who are selfish, self-centered, and worldly in every way. You don't esteem them highly. They're not worth that. And you don't esteem some young upstart in the ministry who's been on the scene for three years and now he published a book and he's got a church of 50,000 people and he's the new guy on the block. You don't esteem men like that highly. You know who you esteem highly? Men who have, men and women who have been through the grinder and they have demonstrated that their lives are lives of integrity and character and they've faced adversity and they've come through clean and pure and they've gone through the fire. Those are the type of people that you esteem. It's Epaphroditus's. Because, Paul says, verse 30, he came close to death for the work of Christ. He came close to death. Now, you you remember back in verse 27, Paul mentioned that he came close to death in reference to his sickness. I think that there's a dual meaning here in the phrase, he came close to death. It is true that he came close to death or to the point of death because he got sick and he was sick to the point of death, verse 27. But also, Epaphroditus came close to death in that he did not He risked his own life and came close to death in that he came to Rome. And in coming to Rome with a high-profile prisoner like Paul, who could be executed at any minute, Epaphroditus was risking his own life in doing that. And the phrase, he came close to death for the work of the gospel, those same words are used back in verse 8 when it says Jesus was obedient to the point of death. The exact same phrase is now used of Epaphroditus, and I think that the echo is intentional. The Apostle Paul is saying, Epaphroditus is just like Christ in this regard. He was willing to die for the sake of other people, whether it was Paul or whether it was Philippians. He came to the point of death for your sake. What kind of a man was Epaphroditus? He was a soldier. He was a minister. He was a fighter. He was a worker. He was a brother in Christ. All those things that describe him in verse 25, 
plus the fact that he was willing, just like Jesus, to humble himself and become obedient even to the point of death if necessary. To do that which could cost him his own life. Verse 30 again. He did this for the work of Christ, risking his own life. Interesting word, risking. Parabole is the word in the Greek. Para meaning beside and bole meaning to throw. It literally meant to cast something aside, to risk it or to hazard it. It was used of gamblers. When a gambler would risk something, put up money, put up clothing, put up an article, a piece of property, and they would gamble it away. When you hazarded something or when you put something at risk, you you gambled it, so to speak. And the word literally means he gambled his life. It was the word that was used of gambling. He risked his own life and he put it on the line and he gambled it for your sake. Now, Epaphroditus' example was not lost on the early church. Uh, William Barclay, in his commentary on the book of Philippians, notes that right after New Testament times, there was a group of Christians who banded together, and they called themselves the Parabolani, from this word parabole. And they used Epaphroditus as their mascot, or their hero, their, their role model, as it were. And the Parabolani, as Christians, they would go in and they would minister to the sick, they would minister to the prisoners, they would minister in the, in the worst situations, in AD 252, a plague hit Carthage on the northern coast of Africa. And this plague was literally dropping people by the thousands. And Cyprian, who was a bishop in the city of Carthage, he banded together with the Parabolani, this group of Christians who called themselves the gamblers. That's what Parabolani means, the gamblers. And they would go out and they would literally minister to the sick and those who had this plague, this communicable disease. They risked their own lives to demonstrate the love of Christ to people who needed the love of Christ. And the pagans were so afraid of that plague that when somebody died, they literally would throw their bodies out into the streets and run away screaming. But the Parabolani, with Cyprian as their leader, went out and buried thousands of corpses and gave them a decent burial. And anybody who had the plague, they went and ministered to them and comforted them and served them. They did this for their enemies. They were the gamblers. And they called themselves the gamblers. And Epaphroditus was their model. That's the type of sacrificial service that Epaphroditus modeled, that's the type of sacrificial service that you recognize in somebody else. This person risks his life. This person sacrifices this, this, and this for the body and in the ministry of the saints, and we ought to esteem them highly and respect them highly. He risked his own life, Paul says, to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now, don't read into those words any reproof or rebuke. It's not as if the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you were you were lacking. You didn't serve me like you should. It was deficient. It was defective. It wasn't worth anything. And so Epaphroditus comes along and he sort of fills in where you came woefully short. That's not the sentiment of that at all. When he says he completed what was deficient in your service to me, they were deficient not because they lacked initiative or lacked desire. Their service to Paul was deficient because they lacked opportunity. They were four weeks travel away from the city of Rome as a church, they wanted to do a lot for Paul that they could not do. What they could do was send a gift to provide for his needs and send a representative to serve him on behalf of the church. And so it is as if the Apostle Paul is saying, if there was anything lacking in your kindness to me, you have more than made up for it by sending Epaphroditus. What you lacked opportunity to do, but not desire to do. What you lacked the ability to do, but not the motive to do. You have sent Epaphroditus to do, and he has filled in everything that you consider to be deficient. It is incredible praise that the Apostle Paul is offering to Epaphroditus in the church at Philippi. He's a worthy man. He's an honorable man. He's a respectable man. So that when he shows up, you ought to respect him as such. Now, if I know human nature well, and I think I do because I have one, 
I would suspect that most of us, having been in Epaphroditus' position, would sort of strut into Philippi expecting a hero's welcome, wouldn't we? Kind of like a Barney Fife moment. Yeah. Ah, come on. Put yourself in Epaphroditus' position. You had been chosen for a very important task. And you had sacrificed and you had gone on this mission to the most well-known and the most prominent Christian in all of the world. And in the process, you got sick. And you came to the point of death. But God in His mercy had mercy on you. And He raised you up and He healed you. And then you're arriving back literally as a hero who has risked everything to your home church with a letter from the most well-known Christian, the founder of your church, the most well-known Christian in all of the world. And that letter contains some pretty high praise of you and your ministry. How would you walk back into the city of Philippi? Expecting a hero's welcome? And yet the Apostle Paul has to tell them, honor this man. Why? Because I don't think Epaphroditus thought that he was worthy of a hero's welcome. You ever notice something about people? The people who think they're heroes really are not. The people who really don't see themselves as heroes are, for the most part. Epaphroditus was such a man. Now why are you and I to honor men and women like the like Epaphroditus? It is because all of us have role models. And all of your children will have role models. And they can be the Britney Spearses of the world, or they can be the Epaphroditus's of the world. Which one would you prefer? I would prefer the Epaphroditus's of the world. And so Paul says in chapter 3, verse 17, look at it. Jumping ahead just a little bit. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Here's the model. Now you're going to see next week, and it's just a little bit of a preview. There is a massive difference between the men mentioned in chapter 2 and the men mentioned in chapter 3. And it's an intentional contrast that the Apostle Paul is giving. Who are the men that are mentioned in chapter 2 as phenomenal role models? Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, who had the mind of Christ, who considered the interests of others ahead of their own. Those are the men in chapter 2. Then you get into chapter 3, and guess what you get? A whole other type of men. And Paul says, beware of them. Look at verse 2. Beware of the dogs. He's not talking about canines. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Here are the men you need to be aware of. Look at verse 18 of chapter 3. Many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. So chapter 3, 2 is the men that we are to model and emulate and honor and esteem. Men like Epaphroditus, Paul, and Timothy. Chapter 3 is the men that we are to stay away from and beware of because they're enemies of your soul. Two different types of men. Two different types of model. And that's why Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 3, join in following my example of me and men like me who serve well. We are to esteem and honor honorable and noble and worthy men because in so doing, we honor the God who is at work in worthy men. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Your Word and we thank You for sitting, setting even some among our own numbers who are just like Epaphroditus in this regard. They sacrifice greatly. They give of themselves, their time, their talents, and their treasure to strive together in the work of the Gospel. And we pray that You would give to us the grace to recognize such people, to honor them as such, to esteem them highly for their work's sake, that we might glorify You who in wisdom and in Your benevolence and Your grace 
has given to your church such men and women as examples of godly living. We pray that you'd give us the ability to identify them and the love to honor them well and esteem them highly, that you might be glorified through us and through that action. We do ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.